Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Yesterday, I did a show on the sort of um, rumored storm that could be coming for the fraternity of St. Peter, and they released a press release. Um, uh, Edward Penton, the inestimable Catholic journalist, I mean that, he's, he's probably the best out there. He released uh, a, a copy of that. We're going to look at that, read between the lines, and then I want to move on to talking about the crisis in the church and unity amongst traditionalists because I believe that there are going to be some difficult situations that traditionalists are going to find themselves in with what I think is coming down the pike. I'm not professing to have any infallible information here. Um, and I also want to make it clear, I'm not dealing in rumors. I'm, I'm reading what is here, and I'm offering my two cents as commentary, take it or leave it. And I want to talk about what true unity is amongst traditionalists, the different conceptions that traditionalists have and how that can be assessed uh, because we are in an interesting spot in the church now, aren't we? We are long removed from the consecrations of 1988. Obviously, I support them by Archbishop Lefebvre. This is no secret. But it's very rare today to meet someone who is a traditional Catholic, whether they attend a fraternity institute, an adult mass, etc., who looks at SSPX people with scorn. That used to be the case. Uh, it was very common. It's, it's even decreased in my short time being a traditionalist since 2018. Um, I remember in the beginning, you know, some of the reactions I got from fraternity supporters or indult attendees, it was like I said, I attended the SSPX and I like the SSPX. And I remember one time I was sitting at a, a post-mass social. This is before we had committed to going to the SSPX full time. And I was sitting at a post-mass social to Latin mass community saying how I had gone to the SSPX. And I kid you not, the young man who was a fraternity supporter kind of guy, I, I swear his face went white and he almost stopped chewing his food like I had said, you know, I was the descendant of Joseph Stalin or something. Like, it was the craziest thing. I thought to myself, man, oh man, this is a weird reaction. And that used to be really common. But that has since changed in a lot of people. Some have doubled down, but most, I mean, I have, I've traveled around a little bit in the United States talking to traditionalists of all stripes. And the constant response I get is they love the society, they love Archbishop Lefebvre, that sort of thing. You know, going to the Remnant conference a couple of years ago, I was, when I was with LifeSite News, I uh, had a time to speak, uh, you know, for questions from the press gallery. I was there as a, as a, as a journalist. And, um, you know, I asked a question, you know, to the audience and to, this, to, the, to the dignified speakers on the stage, you know, can we say Archbishop Lefebvre, finally, can we say he had a point? And it was a round of applause, people cheering, people on stage laughing and, and the answer was yes. I mean, we're kind of to the point now where we can all recognize the genius of Archbishop Lefebvre. So that's kind of the the general impression of most traditionalists today, and it should be. Um, so we're going to talk about how can one find sort of a unifying principle? Where is this unity? What does it mean? What sort of charity should traditionalists be offering each other? And I'm actually going to cite some work by a state of a contest for that, because even this state of a contest holds the same view, which I think is telling because... If a state of a contest who believes something very different than a lot of traditionalists believe, many trads are sedes, at least quietly, but I shouldn't say many, but a, a number of them. I don't know what the number is, but if that's the case, then we should all be willing to take um, this advice, considering the source it comes from, as a testament to all of us who have different opinions on these difficult situations should be offering some charity to the other individuals. And I'm talking here about laypersons, not the organizations, laypersons. Okay. So before we get to the press release, I want to just give you a quick reminder. I am going to Italy this fall with Father Albert Calio, a traditional Dominican who can find one. Well, we did. 
and we're going to take him to Italy with us, and we're going to have a great pilgrimage, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Thanks to all of those of you who have signed up already, and here is the information. All the trouble in Rome, it is easy to forget about one unshakable fact. Our church is the Roman Catholic Church, and Rome is the Eternal City. What a perfect time to go on a pilgrimage to the Eternal City and the other monumental sites of Catholic heritage in beautiful Italy. Join Father Albert Calio and me this November as we tour through the shrines of Italy and the Amalfi Coast as we attend daily Mass in the Old Rite in the footsteps of St. Peter and St. Francis. Click the link in the description to register for this once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage to discover the heart of the Catholic faith in the heart of the old Roman Empire. All right, so let's pull up this press release for here from uh, the fraternity uh, posted by Edward Penton. And Edward Penton is probably the best Catholic journalist out there, so God bless him for all his work. He's done a remarkable job. And uh, here is the press release. So I'll make it a little bit bigger. I'll try to do that, actually. I don't know if I can do it with the thing or if I have to zoom in. No, it doesn't do that, so I'm going to do it like this. Hold on half a second here. I think if I zoom in on the actual Twitter X, I can't call it X. I can't bring myself. Okay, there it's bigger. I think you can all see it now. All right. So audience with Pope Francis, this is from March 1st today. Happy March, by the way. Happy month of St. Joseph. Okay. Following a request from the priestly fraternity of St. Peter, Pope Francis invited Father Andres Komarovsky, Superior General of the fraternity, to meet with him. He received him, blah, 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 just whatever. Okay. The meeting was an opportunity for them to express their deep gratitude to the Holy Father for the decree of February 11th, 2022. So let's just give a little bit of context of what that is real quickly. So he's referring to this. It's originally in Latin up there. This is from the FSSP. This is their official thing. So this isn't, you know, this is not, this is their official thing. So I'm not cherry picking here. It says the Holy Father Francis uh, grants to each and every member of the fraternity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the faculties is to celebrate the sacrifice of the Mass and to carry out the sacraments of other sacred rites as well as to fulfill the divine office according to the typical edition of 1962, so the old stuff. They may use this faculty in their own churches and oratories. Otherwise, it may only be used with the consent of the ordinary of the place except for the, cel the celebration of private Mass. Without prejudice to what has been said above, the Holy Father suggests that, as far as possible, the provisions of the motu proprio traditionis custodis be taken into account as well. Okay, so this is already kind of an interesting document. Um, so yes, you can have the old rite, but also please take into account traditionis custodis. And there's always the, there's always the, um, I don't know, the fly in the ointment is traditionis custodis. Okay, so let's go back to, to this. So, uh, continuing, by which the Pope confirmed the liturgical specificity of the Fraternity of St. Peter, uh, but also to share with him the difficulties around encountered in its application. The Pope was very understanding and invited the fraternity of St. Peter to... Con so this is... this Read here. This is important. Um, I can't highlight because it's a Twitter thing, but I'm, if you can look at my cursor, it's right there. The Pope was very understanding, and, but invited the fraternity to continue to build up ecclesial communion ever more fully through its own proper charism. Okay. I'm going to say that one more time. To build up ever more fully ecclesial communion. What does that mean? Well, and I guess they're relaying Pope Francis's words. So these aren't, these aren't the fraternity's words, but they're relaying Pope Francis's words as far as I can tell. This is, this is where you're going to have to read between the lines, my friend. To build up ecclesial communion. What does that even mean? Well, we'd looked at the conceptions of communion versus the old way and 
between the old way and the new way yesterday. So watch that episode. The idea here is that communion is a matter of degrees and participation. This is the this is the neo modernist, and I'm not saying this is the fraternity's uh, per perception. I'm saying this is what they reported to have been told. So please, no one here accuse me of saying this is the fraternity's perception per se of the individual priests. I have no information to say that. I'm just saying this is what they've reported from their meeting with Pope Francis. Ecclesial communion. What does this mean? Well, as I said yesterday in our show, and you got to go watch that for more detailed explanation. Maybe watch that after this. The idea of what it means to be in communion in the modernist, neo-modernist, post-conciliar perception is essentially that external manifestations of actually communing in liturgical settings, in ceremonial ways, with bishops and popes, is what is, is, what is the crux of communion. And I will just quickly, for those who haven't seen it, bring up a specific quotation from Pope Benedict in, I think, 2006, to demonstrate this so you can have a little bit more background. So here is from my Substack. You can find that article, the link for my Substack, if you want to become a subscriber. Thank you to all of those who have signed up as of, uh, signed up as paid subscribers. There's goodies for that. There's some interviews up there with Dr. Kwasniewski, Hugh Owen of the Colbe Center for paid subs. They'll be released in a few days for the general public, but if you want to watch them first, they're there for you. In any event, this is from 2006 from Pope Benedict, and I have many citations before this from more sort of official, not just Wednesday audience settings, but this is, this is an distillation of what it is. So Benedict said, the church's apostolic tradition consists in the transmission of the goods of salvation, which through the power of the Spirit makes the Christian community the permanent actualization of the original communion. So tradition is the actualization of communion. Tradition is the communion of the faithful around their legitimate pastors down through history, a communion that the Holy Spirit nurtures, assuring the connection between the experience of the apostolic faith. So the experience, this is living tradition, this is neo-modernist, I talked about this yesterday, lived in the original community of the disciples and the actual experience of Christ in his church. So, communion, ecclesial communion, communion with the church, ecclesial means church, communion, communion, okay? The way you demonstrate how much communion you have, you demonstrate this by, in a visible way, in a tangible way, being united around your bishop. Meaning, what does this mean? Where is this manifested in the church today, most succinctly. It's manifested at the chrism mass. So if you've ever been to a chrism mass in your diocese, it's the bishop and all the priests of the diocese, unless they're sick or something, and they con-celebrate a Novus Ordo liturgy with the bishop. That is the crux. That has always been the crux in the Novus Ordo paradigm of how you demonstrate how much communion you have. Because the insinuation here, and this is why when people say the SSPX is not in full communion, Goodness gracious, Pope Francis is alleging, or through the words of the fraternity, relaying what Pope Francis said, he's essentially saying the fraternity needs to do more to build up ecclesial communion, meaning there's something lacking in their ecclesial communion. So we might ask ourselves, does the Pope even think the fraternity is in full communion? I mean, these are, again, I'm just going off of their words. This is why when people say, well, the SSPX is in full communion. I don't really care because what they believe about communion is absurd. Historically, communion... And my friend Tim Flanders did a show on this. Um, I think it's something like the SSPX is in communion with Rome and Vatican II is traditional. I think that's what he said. And he was talking about what communion means. Because there is an aspect, I'm sorry, Tim basically showed that to be in communion with the church just means to recognize the pastors, to profess the faith, and to have the sacraments. That's what it means. Because you have to understand, 
I mean, it's impossible to to partake in some sort of ceremonial manifestation of communion for most people with most bishops and most popes in history. I mean, you're not there in the same diocese, you're not with the pope. I mean, to say you have to to have to do something with them, be active and actually experience it, which is, which is this neo-modernist understanding of communion and tradition, which are synonymous. The idea that you have to do that is just impossible. So, you know, if you're across the ocean and you never have communion with another bishop, are you in communion with him fully? Well, you are in the sense that you're just Catholic, you've received the sacraments, you believe the faith, and you recognize the legitimate pastors. I mean, that's all communion really ever has meant. And I talk about this in my SSPX book. But this modernist perception, this is where the Trojan horse is. So back to this idea of the chrism mass. The fraternity, generally speaking, I don't, and I'm not strawmanning here because I don't think they've ever done a concelebration. I don't think their priests have ever done a concelebration at a Novus Ordo, to their credit, with the local bishop. I've heard that there has been a time when a priest in the institute, I'm not sure, I can't verify that, I think it's true, don't take my word for it, it's not an accusation, I'm just saying what I, I think I've read. But essentially, and you saw with this this um, recent suppression of the missionaries of St. John the Baptist, uh, Father um, Collins and Father Kopczynski uh, in Kentucky, Covington, Kentucky, they were suppressed by their local bishop. And they admitted that they just wouldn't do the concelebration mass in the Novus Ordo with the local bishop. Uh, and the bishop uh, was following this modernist understanding of communion that in order to be in full communion, whatever that means, apparently the fraternity doesn't have it because they need to build up more ecclesial communion, whatever that means. They wouldn't do the chrism mass, so they were shut down. That was one of the main reasons it was in their letter that they released. So if Pope Francis... And again, go back to that letter from 2022, the fraternity released, that yes, you can be the FSSP and be traditional, but keep in mind traditionis custodis. And the FSSP is being encouraged to build up more ecclesial communion. Listen, my friends, when is Maundy Thursday? In like 28 days or something, 27 days? We're just out under four weeks from, from the Chrism Mass. I think that's when it's usually celebrated in most dioceses. Um... Yes, I just double-checked. I wanted to make sure I wasn't wrong. I hate being wrong, uh, not for my own ego, but I don't want to lead you astray. Yes, it's on Holy Thursday. I knew that. Anyway, so that's in like 27, 28 days, whenever I mar Easter is end of, the, end of March this year. Um, okay, so what does this mean? I mean, is there a significance to this meeting? There might be. I mean, I think if I'm reading between the lines here, I personally believe that the fraternity priests and the Ecclesia Day community priests in general are going to be encouraged voluntold, who knows? Will, will it happen? I don't know. But it seems to me that they're being invited to build up more ecclesial communion. Well, the only thing left is to either say the Novus Ordo or participate in the Chrism Mass in some way. I know that some Ecclesia Day priests in the past have sort of sat there, you know, sort of witnessed the Mass, been there for it, but not actively participated. Fair enough. And so... But that, I don't think that's enough in the mind of Pope Francis because that's not what modernist Novus Ordo communion and tradition is about. Modernist Novus Ordo communion and tradition is about a faith experience with the pastors. Tradition, according to Pope Benedict, and again, that quote was a distillation of many others from official sources I have in that article. Check it out in my Substack. It's called Join the SSPX and Go Partially to Hell. I was making fun of the idea that you are sort of in, sort of not in the church. What does that mean? Are some of you damned? Is some of you saved? I mean, it's an absurd notion. But this is the modernist perception that if you don't 
physically share at the table of blessing with the work of human hands, then are you really on the team? That's the idea in the Novus Ordo. The fraternity doesn't do that to their credit, and I wouldn't say they did. So what does it mean to build up more ecclesial communion? I don't see any other outcome of this than an encouragement to concelebrate the Novus Ordo at the Chrism Mass, which would be against what I think all fraternity priests are comfortable with doing, because I believe, as I said, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe the individual priests are traditional. Would it mean receiving at the Novus Ordo Mass? I mean, there's going to be, I mean, what else is it going to be? Does it mean they're going to have to have, I mean, that's, that's really all I can say. I, I think that, I don't think there's a way around it. I don't think there's a way around it. How is there a way around it? You know, you got to go back to Cardinal Supich, back when he was the bishop of, not Chicago, some other, somewhere else. I, I can't, some other diocese in Illinois or something. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, a long time ago, they had an indult in his diocese. And at Easter, he shut down the indult. You can look up this story. He shut down the mass. He said, you can't have the Easter mass in the old rite because we all have to have full communion on Easter, which was basically his words. So they ended up having mass outside on the steps of the church or something in defiance, which bravo to them for doing that. In any case, this is the modernist, you know, Cardinal Supich is the incarnation of modernism. He's like a Cardinal Marx, right? Um, well, or sorry, Cardinal Casper. Um, these men, these men are the incarnation of modernism. So what they do is what the men like Pope Francis believe. Uh, Cardinal Martini before him, who Pope Francis said he loved, and Martini was a massive modernist. This is what they believed. You have to show, you have, it's like when they went to Archbishop Lefebvre uh, before the suspensions, and they said, and the, the nuncio for Switzerland, he said, I have the new mass with me here. Let's just go say this together, and all your problems will go away. Just come and celebrate the mass, and all your problems are going to go away. And Archbishop Lefebvre replied with wit, and he said, I've already celebrated mass today, but thank you. You know, this concelebration thing is a modernist thing, it exists in some ways in the East, but it makes sense in the East. It does not make sense in the West. Uh, Dr. Kwasniewski in his book, Bound by Truth, talks about concelebration. There's actually a, a chapter here on concelebration. I'll just read you a portion of it. So I'll read a lengthy passage here. And this is from chapter 17. You can see that of, of Dr. K's book. Go buy the book. It's great. And check out my Substack for a first part of a two-part interview um, with Dr. K. It's on YouTube memberships as well. You can sign up for like three bucks a month if you want or more if you're more generous. But the, the lowest rung is like, I call it buy me a coffee. It's like three bucks. Who doesn't have $3? Stop giving $3 to the Starbucks uh, blue-haired transgender giving you your coffee. In any case, so this is from the intro to the chapter. And he says, when Pope Francis told a group of French bishops that all priests in a diocese, regardless of affiliation, should be present to concelebrate the Chrism Mass with their bishop each year, the ever-simmering question of concelebration once more came to boil. And he says, traditionalist commentator Michael Charlier published an article in which he opined that even if normally concelebration may and should be refused by traditional clergy. The Chrism Mass is a special case where a refusal in principle would be unreasonable and where it would be prudent to go ahead in a spirit of compromise and go for it. Dr. K disagrees. And um, and he gives, what is the historical rationale for concelebration? He says, as Bishop Schneider has demonstrated in an unsurpassed study on the subject called Eucharistic Concelebration, theological, historical, and liturgical aspects. 
the right of concelebration as it was drawn up after the Second Vatican Council and even more as it has been lived in the church is a sheer novelty that bears no substantive relation to Western tradition or to the Eastern tradition. As I mentioned, Eastern concelebration is very different. So this is, it's a Trojan horse when they say it's in the East. It is, in short, another fabrication of the liturgical innovators. It therefore deserves to be avoided for exactly the same reasons for which traditional clergy refuse the new missal, the other new sacramental rites, new liturgy of the hours, the new book of blessings, the new pontifical ceremonies, and so forth. Okay, so you can read more in this in this chapter here. Um, and anyway, anyway, there's much more here. I'm not going to read too much of it. But the point is, concelebration is not traditional. It is not Western. And even in the East, it's not the way it's been drawn up in the West. It's novelty. It's Novosordo. It's not Catholic. So when Pope Francis says ecclesial communion, it's going to mean concelebration because that is what the modernists believe. This is Cardinal Martini. This is Cardinal Casper. This is this is Pope Francis. This is Cardinal Supich. This is what they believe. This is who is in charge of the church right now. I can't see anything else other than building up ecclesial communion. Again, go back to that letter from the fraternity. It can't mean anything other than that. What else could it mean? I don't know. We'll see. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to come down for this Holy Thursday. It doesn't mean it's going to be mandated. But I do think it's at least going to be strongly encouraged or voluntold from on high. From Rome, not from the, I'm not saying from the fraternity administration, I'm saying from Rome. So this is something to pray for these traditional priests because they're going to be put in a hard spot. Okay, as I said at the outset, I wanted to talk here about the need for unification and charity amongst traditionalists in these ever-increasing trying times, which are going to get much harder. I'm going to pull up an essay here from a scholar named John Lane. He's a St. Vicontis scholar. Um, for those of you who get nervous about St. Vicontis things, listen. There's, there's hardly a better book written about the Novus Ordo than the book by the late, great St. Vicontis scholar, Father Chiqueta. It's called Work of Human Hands. I recommend it. Dr. K, other liturgical scholars of our day, even though they disagree on the St. Vicontis position, they say, this book is, is, is a magnum opus. Listen, if someone is right, they're right. John Lane is right in this essay. Again, I disagree with the state of Vicontism, but he demonstrates how reasonable, charitable, and pious of a man he is. I don't know him, but this is my impression, so I respect him greatly for this. And he said what I would try to say, but he said it so well, and I want to just show you part of this essay to demonstrate what I'm saying. Okay, this is an essay called State of a Contest, the Unicum and the Church. I'm not going to get into the Unicum thing. That's a that's State of a Contest inside baseball. The sort of beginning of his essay is is the is where the meat of the matter is. Okay. So he says two broad tendencies reflective of two fundamental conceptions of what is most important, most certain, and therefore de decisive in the church manifest themselves in the traditionalist milieu. The first displays a primary concern for the very root of the life of the church, faith. According to this general view, faith was attacked at Vatican II and afterwards, and everything else follows inevitably from that fact. In its favor, this outlook on the crisis has the truth that faith is indeed the very foundation of the church, the taproot and trunk of its life, so that it is obvious that everything else depends upon it. It also has the merit of noticing that Vatican II was not merely infested, infested with errors more or less contrary to the deposit of faith, but also that it expressed a more fundamental, ultimate, radical principle which undermines all supernatural faith, vis-a-vis -vis the principle of liberalism. I agree with this assessment. There's a book called uh, Prometheus about Vatican II by Father Calderon, Argentinian uh, uh, SSPX priest. Pick it up, great book. Uh, 
the um, that man is the final judge and criterion of religious knowledge, etc. Okay. The second governing view takes its point of departure from the social unity of the church, which is charity. It has in its favor the fact that if faith is the first of the social bonds of the church, charity the second remains essential. It may be dependent upon faith, so much so that without faith there cannot be charity, but nevertheless, faith without charity is dead. This outlook notices the dissolution of the church and reacts by trying to strengthen and repair all possible bonds between Catholics. It rightly sees that in many accusations of a lack of faith, there is some degree of exaggeration. It deplores these because of a false accusation of error or heresy tends to dissolve what is otherwise still actually intact, and thus brings about the very effect that the putative defender of the faith is trying to avoid, disillusion and disunity. The unity of social charity is closely associated in theology with the role of the hierarchy. Consequently, those with a primary concern for this bond will tend to look for approval of their actions from putative authority. So what he's saying here is that in the traditionalist milieu, and he's bang on, both are concerned with faith, but there is a, an emphasis, there's a greater emphasis on the faith on the one side, we'll call it the SSPX side, the conscientious state of a conscious side. I'm not relating the two, I'm just saying we see this, meaning it's like St. Athanasius said, they have the faith, but we, or sorry, they have the churches, we have the faith. So he, he didn't care if local bishops thought he was in communion with them because the faith took precedent. On the other side, which we'll call it more of the, in, in, the Ecclesia Dei indult side, there is this understanding of the faith for sure, but charity and faith are so united that therefore there can't be faith if there's not this social charity. This is a totally reasonable position. And historically, it makes perfect sense. So only in grave crises in the church, like the, the Arian heresy or now, do you find this idea of sort of an independent bishop or independent society of priests and so forth. And it's only sort of seen as a last resort when social charity, the unity of social charity, meaning manifestly having external allegiance with the hierarchy, only when that seems to be impossible without the, lo the loss of faith or the diminishing of faith. Only in those extreme circumstances do you see St. Athanasius saying, they have the churches, we have the faith. And this is what the SSPX would argue, and most traditionalists today, I would, I would believe, this is what they would argue uh, the situation that we're in right now is. And I'm going to cite Dr. K again. Dr. K is my favorite. And um, in, in the book, there's a chapter, it's page 284, what is it? It's chapter on post-TLM strategies in the area of traditionalis custodis. And he brings up the SSPX option if, if your mask gets taken away. And he says, here is not the place to go into a detailed questions about the status of the SSPX. I will lim limit myself to saying the following. If the church is in a state of unprecedented and anomalous institutional crisis, a historical meltdown next to which the Aryan controversy and the Protestant revolt are puff pastry. I, I think that's a great, good job. That's a great line. And that is the view I have. That's the view Dr. K has. It's the view I share. And I would think most of those who are reading this, traditionalists would have, then it is infinitely more necessary to retain the fullness of Catholic orthodoxy. So the most important thing is orthodoxy, meaning the right faith, which means both right teaching and right worship. So not just the worship, not just the teaching. So you can't have your Novus Ordo and your Baltimore Catechism. You can't have your traditional mass and your, you know, UCAT Catechism. Okay. 
so that's the most important rather than it is to check off all the boxes of canonical propriety and to satisfy the desiderata of scholastical manuals written in saner times and without even the remotest conception of the situation we're passing through. So Dr. K is, is saying something similar to what John Lane is saying here, even though they disagree substantially on the question of state of occultism, but they're both very intelligent traditionalists. They're both saying that in the one side in tradition, the more common side is that when the faith is in risk of being diminished or damaged, that's the most important thing, even if there is not the ability to tick off all the boxes of canonical propriety, as he says. So legally above board, it's impossible in some cases to make sure the faith is preserved and the canonical regularities are preserved. And again, I go back to St. Athanasius, they have the churches, we have the faith, meaning, sure, there's the legal thing, there's the the recognized bishop thing, but they're heretics, therefore we have to go with the faith. I agree with that. Okay, let's bring uh, back up John Lane here. Um, so he goes on to say, I'm just going to get this here. He goes, analyzing the different streams of traditionalist thought and practice in the light of the two external bonds of the unity of the church, faith and charity, is helpful for several reasons. First, it aids us to appreciate realities that otherwise may escape our comprehension. This is why I love this essay. I mean, the, the unicum part is not my focus here. Again, that's state of a contest inside baseball. But this, I think, is a wonderful exposition of a man who truly is giving the benefit of the doubt to all traditionalists, which is not something you generally expect from Sades, which is why I respect his work so much. He said, uh, and second, by benefiting our understanding, it generates a healthy tolerance for at least within certain limits to understand is to forgive. Finally, it is corrective of the tendency inevitable in limited human nature to imagine that we see clearly is what we see clearly is the whole of what is to be seen. So there's a warning here from John Lane, which I agree with. We don't know everything. We don't know what individual priests are going through. You just have to get the benefit of that. He says within limited, reasonable limits. So if a priest says, well, I'm a traditionalist, but I'm going to go say the Novus Ordo, respectfully, that's not a reasonable limit. I mean, you can't say the Novus Ordo. It's, it's, not, it's not traditional. It's not Catholic, really. Um, but, but I think what he's saying here is bang on. Okay. He says the most obvious type of traditionalist with the focus on faith is the state of a contest, less radically yet still, well, that's his opinion, I'm not saying, but um, less still is the SSPX. He says non-state of a contest, SSPX, the most obvious type of traditionalist with a predilection for the social unity of charity is the conservative within the Novus Ordo. And he has a footnote here that I'll read, it's important. It's right here where I've highlighted. And he says, by conservatives, I do not mean neo-Catholics for whom faith is whatever the Pope says it is this week. And if you're a dissident, if and you're a dissident, if you don't immediately adopt an explanation defending it, this was him talking about Pope Splainers before Pope Splainers was a word. He says, I refer to the not insignificant number of Catholics who go along with the new liturgy and other external changes precisely because they feel bound in obedience to do so, but hold fast, but who hold fast to the faith of our fathers, nevertheless. So amazing. He's even saying this is a state of a contest saying, listen, there are people who attend the Novus Ordo who still hold to the faith. That's despite the mass, but nonetheless, even a state of a contest here is willing to extend charity to those who are traditionalists in their minds and hearts, but are in the Novus Ordo paradigm. I think that's all something we can we can agree with. He said the second type more concerned with doctrine, yet still with a primary emphasis on the unity of communion, is the indult or to a lesser extent, modo proprio attendant. So Ecclesia Dei communities and those who attend diocesan TLMs. This was written, I think, in 2016. At one extreme is the dogmatic state of a contest. So here's a state of a contest saying there's a state of a contest stream that is in, 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 inappropriate. 
defined uh, as the individual who has forgotten that his judgment of a contingent fact is merely his own. At the other extreme is the traditionalist who accuses of schism anybody who assists at a mass not positively approved by the official church. The sincerity of each type is not in question, nor is it to be assumed that each is mistaken because his view is radical. So he's saying, listen, those could be true, but they're not, not because they're radical, but because he says truth does not lie in the middle, virtue does. But in my estimation, both are mistaken. Okay, that's the extent of what I need to read from John Lane there. What he's saying is, listen, guys, and this is a state of a contest, which is why I brought this up, because if a state of a contest can say this, then as traditionalists who agree on things more fundamental, agree on the fundamental principle of the papacy, although not all of us do, but I'm saying there's, there's no reason for us in general not to have charity and the benefit of the doubt, considering the difficult situation that traditional Catholics are going to be facing as this thing heats up again. There's no way to say the fraternity has to build up more ecclesial communion than by saying they've got to do something then, sorry, without without the idea that they're going to have to do something like a chrism mass to do the Novus Ordo, there's no other there's no other way that Pope Francis, I mean, just for a second, let's hypothesize about what else that could mean. I mean, the fraternity is completely canonically regular. The fraternity has regular relationships with Rome. They're under bishops and dioceses, but still, Pope Francis is under the impression that they have to build up ecclesial communion. There's nothing left except for doing the Novus Ordo or the Chrism Mass, which is to consolidate the Novus Ordo. I, don't, I, I can't see anything else. I mean, if you have an idea, I mean, I'm thinking, could they make some sort of ceremony? I don't know. Are they going to stand uh, and, and, and pledge allegiance to the bishop? Like, I mean, these are absurd things. This doesn't make any sense. If we're following the modernist ecclesiology that I've outlined with that quote from Pope Benedict, and in my article on my website and for my show from yesterday where I read it in depth, if we're following that, I can't see anything else other than you must concelebrate, which we know from Dr. K and the traditionalist perspective that concelebration is not, and from Bishop Schneider, concelebration is not a thing in the West and in the East. It's very different. So it's a Trojan horse when they bring that in. It's a novelty. It's Novus Ordo. It's Protestant. It's whatever. It's, it's, it's modernist. It's not Catholic. I don't know what else is left. So it's my opinion that going forward, there are going to be some crises of conscience for traditional priests in these Ecclesia Day communities because I think they're going to be voluntold that they got to do something that they never wanted to do. Whatever the decision to make is up to them, and it's not for us to become, uh, like John Lane said, as the dogmatic state of a contest. Now, I think, I think, Concelebration is wrong. Dr. K thinks concelebration is wrong. He appeals to priests not to do it. I'm appealing to priests not to do it. I think it's wrong. I think Archbishop Lefebvre was right to not concelebrate the new mass and have, quote unquote, all his problems go away back in the 70s. I think he was heroic for not doing that. And I think traditionalists today need to stand up and be heroic about it. So, as I said yesterday, a lot of these traditional priests in these, quote unquote, regular situations are walking on a tightrope, and that tightrope does not extend forever. And I think Pope Francis is going to bring the hammer down and say, can celebrate or do the Novus Ordo, or you don't have full communion. He's already insinuating that they don't have enough. They should build up ecclesial communion. These words are subjective, but that's the point. It's always ambiguous. So someone could say, oh, it doesn't mean he thinks they don't have full communion. It means that they could strengthen their communion. Well, this is nonsense. This is modernist gobbledygook. 
if you are a priest in the church, you recognize the pastors, you say that you say the mass, you believe the faith, you're in full communion. There's no partial, there's no degrees of being pregnant. There's no degrees of having communion. This is complete, absolute garbage, and only a legalistic modernist would 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 advocate for it, which is the case. But anyway, so what's going to happen? I don't know. I I I would bet money. I mean, I'm not going to bet on this. Gambling's not always a sin, but I'm not a gambler. Play the odd game of poker for twenty bucks or something, but um, but in in the hypothetical hypothetical sense, I would bet money that concelebration is going to be forced or strongly encouraged or threatened, and I would believe that uh, or the Novus Ordo saying it once a year or something like that. I would I I think that something like that is going to happen. I don't I can't see any other solution. So if you attend the fraternity of the institute and and your priest is having a crisis of conscience. You need to strengthen that man. You need to encourage him. You need to give him the benefit of the doubt. You need to pray for him. You need to support him and and say, listen, we're here for you if you make a decision that's going to make you unpopular. Because I think they're going to face that. That's just I again, I can't see any other situation. So I don't know. So have charity for one another. Recognize, as Dr. K says, that we're in a crisis in the church that makes the Protestant revolt and the Aryan heresy appear as puff puff pastry, meaning nothing compared to this, which is true. We don't just have Arianism. We don't just have Protestantism. We have modernism, which is the synthesis of all those damnable heresies. So we've got a super heresy going on right now. We have a heretical ecclesiology. It's just a problem. It's a problem. So priests are going to be facing tough situations. So pray for them and pray for each other. Give each other benefit of the doubt. You know, if someone has a, a traditional priest who can celebrate Novus Ordo, don't start calling them a schismatic or a heretic or a modernist if they still go to mass there. It is not the lady's fault. If a priest uh, decides not to and gets in trouble, support him and and pray for him and strengthen him and have and have and have compassion for him because what he's going through is difficult. That's it. that's all I got for you today. As always, let me know what you think in the comments. This has been the Kennedy Report. Until next time, God bless.